Hello, and welcome to this Allen and Overy podcast, part of a Market Horizons series in which we're looking at what the future may hold for the capital markets. I'm Daniel Fletcher, a debt capital markets partner based in London, and I'm joined today by my colleagues Hervé Coe, a partner based in Paris, Salvador Ruiz, a partner based in Madrid, and Philip Nolner, a senior associate based in Luxembourg. In this episode, we'll be discussing digital bonds, which some are calling the future of debt capital markets. And we'll be looking at some of the potential benefits and challenges of adopting these new structures. A digital bond, often referred to as a blockchain bond, can, for our purposes, be defined as a wholly dematerialized bond that is issued, registered, settled, transferred, and custodied solely using distributed ledger technology, or DLT. DLT describes a series of protocols which enable data to be securely and accurately created and stored on a shared, decentralized database, generally using cryptography. New information representing records of transactions is recorded on the distributed ledger only after validation by multiple computers, referred to as nodes, using a pre-agreed consensus mechanism. Blockchain is the most common example of DLT and is so called because each new transaction or bundle of transactions is recorded in a new block of data, which, once validated by the system, is added to the existing blocks of information, like adding links to a chain. In legal terms, what this means is that parties have the ability to share a single, secure, immutable record of sequential transactions in a transparent manner and with a clear audit trail or, in bond terms, a register. Proponents of using DLT to record transactions in, and ownership of, bonds point to potential benefits such as security, transparency, and efficiency. Hervé, do we really expect this to take off? And if so, in what ways can this technology improve security and transparency in the debt capital markets? Thank you, Daniel. Blockchain-supported financial tools are already growing in adoption. Distributed ledger technology continues to prove its utility across the financial sector. Over the last few years, we've worked with issuers and underwriters, such as Banco Santander, Societe Generale, Goldman Sachs, and the European Investment Bank on successful digital bonds issues. There are many advantages in tokenizing securities, including enhancement of the overall security and integrity of processes. Let me give you a few examples. Well, digital bonds can use a reduced number of intermediaries in the holding structure compared to traditional bonds. In principle, every bondholder could have its own on-chain account, we call it a wallet, against which its holding can be recording, supporting certainty of title and greater transparency of trading flows and secondary market transactions. A single shared ledger negates the risk of disparate, irreconcilable ledgers being held across different market participants. Another example, the bonds can be recorded on public blockchains such as Ethereum with tens or even hundreds of thousands of validators running nodes, reducing the risk of system failure and enhancing the validation process for legitimate transactions. Digital bonds can be programmed using smart contracts to automate and facilitate regulatory compliance such as compliance with selling restrictions through a whitelisting process and post-trade reporting. Smart contracts can also be used to facilitate ongoing processes, such as servicing of the bonds, and in some cases, identifying and flagging defaults. Um, The last example I would give you is that the use of structured data in digital bonds and workflow platforms 
can also enable banks to streamline some of the requirements and paperwork relating to the marketing and distribution of bonds, while helping to reduce the risk of human error inherent in manually inputting data. Okay, thanks, Hervé. I mean, that's certainly a, a compelling list of examples. To, to pick up one question, you mentioned using public blockchains such as Ethereum to enhance security, but does it create new risks if we put transactions outside the control of regulated market participants? What I would say to some degree, perhaps, one of the questions the market and regulators will need to answer is whether there is a preference for securities transactions to be recorded on public blockchains, i.e. blockchains where the node validators are unknown, or rather on private ones where node validation is reserved for known, i.e. trusted participants. Or indeed, whether we can be agnostic, provided the DLT environment in which the digital bonds are issued and transferred is sufficiently robust. It should be noted that the parties structuring the digital bonds can introduce processes aiming at rendering the system more secure. This could include adding validations or defining a clear process for KYC AML checks as conditions precedence to any transfer of the bonds. And as a matter of fact, this is what we have done in one instance. Okay, so we think parties will potentially have the choice of public or private blockchains, and perhaps we need to see which way the market and, and perhaps the regulators will want to go. Do you think ESG considerations could play some part in that? I mean, a, a statistic often quoted is that Bitcoin uses around a half a percent of the electricity produced globally each year, or about the same amount as Norway. Is a public blockchain with thousands of computers validating transactions a sustainable option? Whether or not that statistic is true, it is important to note that there are different methods that can be used to achieve the consensus necessary to validate transactions and add them to a distributed ledger. The Bitcoin chain uses something called proof of work, which essentially requires computers to expand energy solving a problem mathematical puzzle in order to earn the right to add the next block of data to the chain, a so-called mining process, as you know. Alternative consensus models, such as proof of stake, where who can add the next block of transactions to the chain is based on the stake the participant has in the system, are much less energy intensive. However, developing the DLT frameworks that are energy efficient will undoubtedly be critical. If you look at the press, there are many, many articles on the topic. There are ongoing discussions to develop applications or processes that will reduce energy consumption to validate transactions. In this regard, the future certainly belongs to blockchains and miners who will success in demonstrating a reduction uh, in their energy consumption. Thanks, Harvey. That's, that's good to hear. Efficiency is certainly another word closely associated with discussions around digital bonds, although more often referring to the efficiency of execution of processes. Let me turn to you, Philip. How can DLT technology make bond processes more efficient? Well, when you use specific types of smart contracts like ERC-20 or ERC-3643 that are deployed on Ethereum, specific operations that relate to lifecycle events of a bond, so, you know, or any other capital market instrument that exists in a DLT environment, can be automated to deliver specific legal effects. So automation can touch on various lifecycle steps, such as issuance, transfer, settlement, and payments made by an issuer or the purchase price paid by an investor for a bond. 
Automating these operations notably reduce the discretion risks from agents manually inputting these instructions. And in addition, it ensures that transactions are executed automatically based on the terms and conditions of the smart contract, which can encompass critical considerations of the bond's terms and conditions, like payment, transfer, or even corporate actions. So Philip, you mentioned smart contracts, and I know Hervé did too. Does that mean that the token itself defines the legal contract between the issuer and the bondholders? Uh, put another way, will will tokens replace legal contracts? Are, are you and I out of a job in a few years' time? Well, that's a great and provocative question then, but happily the answer is no. So this term smart contract is perhaps misleading, really. What we mean is a piece of self-executing code that can automate certain processes, like the ones I mentioned. Well, it's certainly possible for parties to provide that this self-executing code that is embedded in the token would actually be intended to define the contractual relationship between the parties. But in practice, many terms of a contract do involve nuance and discretion that is difficult or even impossible to distill into the binary logic that is used in a smart contract. So we expect that, at least for now, the terms and conditions of the bonds will continue to be drafted in natural language, but the implementation or enforcement of only some of these terms could certainly be automated through smart contracts. So as well, we would still take the view that the smart contract is more of a bullet point digital representation of only some of the notable and key terms and conditions of a bond. So the physical terms and conditions of the bond should nonetheless still have primacy over the smart contract representation of that bond. Great. Well, it's good to know that my days aren't numbered just yet. That being said, if we are talking about technology enabling efficiency, does that inevitably mean some disintermediation of the current stakeholders in capital markets transactions? For example, you talked about automation of some of the roles performed by agents. Right. And so I don't think that this means that capital market transactions will be done entirely without the involvement of agents or other existing stakeholders. So investors and issuers alike, I think, still want to have someone to turn to, to help them to execute transactions or even to act in the event of a system error or failure. I don't think investors and issuers will want to have this sort of bilateral relationship in, in bigger capital market transactions. But what we do see is that the role of some of the capital market participants will evolve. So meaning that a lot of their tasks will be automated and um, will take on new meetings, such as managing DLT platforms, safekeeping private keys, authorizing specific transactions in these digital assets. So how the roles, responsibilities, and liability of these market participants will evolve in this new ecosystem is definitely up for grabs. It's no doubt it will depend on the exact framework that will be put in place on a deal-to-deal basis. So the incumbent players are undoubtedly considering their place in this brave new world, and they'll definitely explore how to influence the direction of travel and to adapt to market needs to still be relevant and have a role to play in the future. So, so it sounds like DLT is certainly a, a, a disruptor or, or a potential disruptor. In that case, what, what's driving the move towards um, DLT and, and increased automation? Is it just the promise of cost savings? Well, for sure. Cost is a big part of the story, but it's not the whole story. So I think harnessing the cost and the efficiencies that the process can bring might help to improve the productivity as well as the bottom line of some of these agents. But reducing the costs of issuing bonds 
you know, also opens the capital markets to smaller borrowers or enable bigger issuers to raise smaller amounts more frequently and to manage, let's say, better the maturity profiles or even the market risk. So it's not just about the agents, it's also about issuers. And also processing automation can, can help to reduce other risks. For example, if you look at the credit risk that's involved in settlement processes, under the new DLT framework, the time delay in bond settlement cycles can be reduced regardless of whether the bond is traded on a trading venue or OTC basis. I mean, to the extent that both of these types of platforms rely on smart contracts and DLT to record such trades. Reducing these settlement cycles actually ensures that the insolvency risks of a transfer or a transferee between the time that a bond is, is transferred really will I guess, bring more considerations as to whether this is more or less risky. So meaning if you bring the settlement cycle from a T plus two to a T zero world, you're definitely going to be living in a less risky environment. So, so even if the technology can achieve instantaneous settlement, is the market ready for that? Would the market embrace that? Well, that's, I think that, that's a big part of the puzzle. There's no telling whether the market actually wants to live in a T-zero world. I mean, we know that many transactions are undertaken by market players who do not have full ownership of securities when the trade is made, and that there's a big market in securities lending to cover such positions. So, I mean, the GameStop saga really put this issue in the spotlight, and various calls for changes in settlement cycles have brought the settlement efficiency promises brought by DLT and smart contracts to the heart of these discussions. I mean, the appeal of significantly reducing or even eliminating credit risk is clear, but there's also a whole host of legal and regulatory considerations, as well as well-established market practices that span for, for, for tens of years and behaviors that would need to evolve to enable intraday settlement. Talking about evolution of legal and regulatory considerations, it's often said that the law is forever playing catch-up to technology. Salva, one for you. Is that true of the legal regimes applicable to digital bond issues? Is the current law fit for purpose? Dan, all bonds, digital or otherwise, do not lack legal and regulatory coverage. Financial markets are among the most heavily regulated worldwide, and the trading, the settlement, the registration, and the custody of transferable securities are heavily regulated activities. But the law today has been written on the assumption of certain conventional centralized models, the market infrastructure that already exists. While much of it maps cleanly onto digital bonds, there are definitely some holes which create uncertainty. These gaps will need to be addressed if digital bonds and digital assets more widely are to become mainstream. Can you give us some examples of those gaps? Well, sure, then. A first legal issue arises regarding the form and registration of securities. Some jurisdictions only accept the issuance and constitution of bonds through physical certificates. Others have the possibility to issue uncertificated securities, but it is hard to say whether or not digital bonds fall within a scope. This is a major issue. The first step when structuring a digital bond issuance has been to understand whether the law intended to govern the issuance, constitution, registration, and transfer of the bond has already resolved these issues and fully acknowledges the use of DLT to register the issuance, ownership, and transfer of a digital bond. Some jurisdictions have already addressed some of these issues, such as France or Luxembourg. Others are in the process of solving it. 
this is something we can discuss in future podcasts. A second legal issue is related to the legal regime for the listing trading and settlement of digital securities. No real market for digital bonds will develop unless digital bonds can be listed, trading, and settled easily. Liquidity is key in the capital markets. So this will require changes in the legal framework for market infrastructures, both the trading venues and the central securities depositories. The acceptance of new incumbents, DLT market infrastructure, and will probably impact on the regulated businesses related to digital bonds. A major step towards the solution for this problem will be the recent EU pilot regime. But that's a story for another day. Yeah, great. That's probably a separate podcast in itself. Uh, is there anything else, Salva, you'd mention at this time? Well, there are many other legal issues arising from or in connection with digital bonds. To name just a few, there are AML considerations. Matters regarding money laundering and sanctions are key in all uh, financial markets. The meaning and role of the custody in the context of digital assets is also a key uncertainty because it's difficult to pinpoint what is the definition and the role of a custodian and the task of a custodian in connection to digital assets, the regulatory characterization of the cash leg and consumer protection. We will have to tackle all these legal issues in future legislation. Consumer protection is an interesting one. Do you think digital bond markets will be directly accessible by retail investors? Well, then, in the longer term, perhaps. I can see a future, but distant future, where retail investors can buy and sell bonds through an app on their phone. However, that is by no means certain. And in these early stages of development, we are focusing on the large institutional investors. That makes sense. In any event, though, it does sound as though ensuring that legal and regulatory regimes can apply coherently to digital bonds and DLT frameworks is one of the key challenges in moving to digital capital markets. What are the other big challenges that you can foresee? Well, I think market standardization is another hurdle. The key players in the digital bond space intend to use nascent disruptive technologies such as DLT and fully integrated platforms to disrupt the primary and secondary securities market. But many players are now developing or implementing their own and different technological solutions to embrace DLT and automation as an enable to change the securities business. As a result, there is a lot variety of approaches, protocols and standards with a lot of uncertainty regarding their interoperability. A proliferation of taxonomies, messaging protocols, DLT technologies and approaches to the cash leg of transactions could delay the digital bond markets reaching a scale. Whether the markets ultimately converge around certain standards remains to be seen. But some level of cooperation and consistency would undoubtedly help the adoption of these new ecosystems. Thanks, Alva. It certainly sounds like we have some way to go on this journey, but every journey must begin with a first step. And it's been great to see market participants who are prepared to lead and pioneer in this space. Erve, earlier you mentioned the EIB blockchain bond. Can you tell us a little more about that transaction? Well, Daniel, that was the highlight of 2021 for our team, and I thank the team for all the hard work. The EIB digital bond of April 2021 was the first 
multi-dealer bond issuance registered on a blockchain, Ethereum. The bonds were governed by French law and the transaction was selected by the French central bank as part of its central bank digital currency sphere. This transaction may pave the way for market players to adopt blockchain technology for the issuance of financial securities. However, issuers themselves will not generally be set up to register bonds on the blockchain. They will need to use the services of intermediaries. In the EIP transaction, Société Générale, Forge, performed several roles, including that of registrar and platform manager, and it was important to delineate which hat SG Forge was wearing when performing each role, as this was impact, would impact its responsibilities and liabilities. Um, let me give you some perspective on that. As a technology provider, SG Forge employed proprietary technologies it designed to enable the end-to-end -end life cycle of a digital bond to be managed on DLT. As platform manager, SG Forge provided and operated the electronic platform necessary to do a number of things. First, to automate and manage the issue of the digital bonds by EIB as issuer. Secondly, to facilitate the subscription of the digital bonds by the joint lead managers of the issuance, facilitate access by the joint managers to the statements of the transactions related to the notes, and finally, facilitate the transfers of the bonds in the secondary markets. As registrar, finally, SG Forge acted as agent of EIB as issuer to, amongst other things, input data relating to the notes in the smart contract and register the ownership of the notes in the DLT, subject to satisfaction of condition precedent. The smart contract itself was developed by SG Forge. It needed to reflect certain features of the terms and conditions of the note and was deployed on the DLT to interact with it and provide automation and self-execution of predetermined actions related to the notes. As you can see, this is really different from a traditional bond issuance. These new technologies and these new intermediaries led to new legal problems that we had to solve. Let me just mention a few. We needed to consider and provide for what would happen in case of attacks on unauthorized access to or fraudulent use of the platform. Likewise, we needed to address risks that would result from technical or other issues associated with DLT, such as any event that impairs the proper or timely functioning of the DLT or smart contract vulnerability or private key vulnerability. From a legal point of view, it is also critical to distinguish between the functions that intermediaries perform for their own account as principal and those performed as agent on behalf of the issuer and for which the issuer then remains ultimately responsible. For example, in the absence of a CSD, we had to look at who is responsible for KYC AML checks and the extent to which that responsibility can, as a matter of French law, be delegated to intermediaries. But this is just a tester. And as Salva said, there are numerous novel legal and regulatory issues which make these transactions particularly interesting. Thanks, Hervé. Interesting indeed, and challenging in equal measure, I think. It's still early days, but it seems these foundational transactions provide the perfect platform for identifying and working through these key issues. And that way we can better help to support and guide our clients as they navigate this new ecosystem. So I think that's all we wanted to cover today. And it only remains for me to thank Hervé, Salva and Philip for sharing your thoughts today. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. We hope you found this an interesting and instructive foray into the world of digital bonds. And if you'd like to explore this world further, please do reach out to us or your usual ANO contacts. Until next time, do take care and bye for now.